This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? 92,003. Don't forget the three. Don't forget the three. Big, big Cornhusker fans showed up (laughs) to watch the Nebraskan women's volleyball team in a football stadium. It's mind-blowing. Amazing. What a vision it was. Belinda Sharp and Casey Badger became the first female referees to officiate an an NRL match under the single referee system. And no W in that no one. No W. And the England and Wales Cricket Board has announced that the England Cricket's women's players will receive the same match fees as the men's team. We love equal pay. Love it. For the key story, we'll discuss tennis icon Billie Jean King coming under fire recently after stating that she would be open to the WTA, that's the Women's Tennis Association, doing business with Saudi Arabia. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm doing an intro, Bez. I haven't done it for a while. I am an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> I was going to say, you've had too many things to talk about, but now you're back on to let's not forget the gold medal. Like we've been well, talking know, about books you know, and all sorts of things and now it's just like, you know what, I just won Olympic gold and that's all I'm going to say for the rest of my life. That's it. That's all i got to say. <laughs> do you know what? No, do you know what spurred this on? There was a lovely lady messaging the TFAB Instagram page. She was like, Chloe, what's the name of your co-host? She's excellent and I don't know what her name is. Who is she? What does she do? So I had to send you full bio. Oh, that must have been a whole sentence long. <laughs> so, Bez, who are you? Tell us. I'm the silent par- partner and that's the way I like it. Although I have been recognised in public a couple of times recently, which is both strange and kind of cool, but mostly strange. Okay, so I'll do your introduction. Well, no, you, you're the Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> I don't do intros. <laughs> um. I thought Tessa, my publisher, actually did a very apt introduction to you, that you are the lifeblood of rugby in the country. I thought that was a pretty cool way to describe it. You've been involved in, you've as a player and coach and manager in women's rugby for, what, a couple of decades now, All are right. we going to say? All right, since, <laughs> since before you were born, but yeah, play on. <laughs> and currently works in community rugby at New South Wales Waratahs, well, New South Wales Rugby, and manages the New South Wales Waratahs women's team. And has not that. and has not won a gold medal. Not yet. Not yet. There's still hope. <laughs> Let's take a look around the grounds. In AFLW, round one is in the books and there is plenty to talk about. Some that my co-host probably doesn't want to talk about, to be fair. So I don't. I'm not ready. Just giving this one to me. So firstly, and as we said, to get it out of the way, the Sydney Swans showed some, to be fair to the Giants, showed some real improvement, I think, on last season. Um, so it was their second year in the comp and they recorded their first ever win on Sunday, getting over the Giants' seven goals, 9.51 to seven goals, 4.46 in front of a really healthy crowd at North Sydney Oval on Sunday. It was a good crowd. How was the atmosphere out there? It was it was a very cool atmosphere. I have not come to terms just yet with the loss, but it was it was really cool to play footy at that venue. I'm not a huge fan of the size of the ground because it does make it a really congested game and and I think that impacted our game plan quite significantly. But playing in front of a, a crowd like that, particularly for a, a Sydney derby, was was really cool and, and we did enjoy that element. Agree. So Swan's big name recruit, Chloe Malloy, was I thought she was outstanding and her two expertly taken goals were probably the difference in what was a really good quality game, I thought. The Swans kept the Giants scoreless in the fourth quarter to run out five-point winners in a really tense contest. 
Also on Sunday, moving on, the Richmond Tigers had a huge fourth quarter to beat last year's grand finalists, the Brisbane Lions, by six points. Tigers skipper Katie Brennan finished with two goals in the six-goal four. 40 to five goal for 34 victory. Richmond had to survive a frantic final 60 nervous seconds at the end with the ball close to the Lions goal, but they hung on to complete the upset. Geelong begun their season in style with a 48 point win over the Western Bulldogs on Saturday. It was pretty bizarre because the, the dogs were in it to an extent and the Geelong were just impressive. The new Irish recruit, I was loving watching her. She was awesome. And Georgie Prasparkas was unsurprisingly everywhere, racking up some seriously impressive stats, 34 disposals, 10 clearances, and 12 tackles to lead the Cats to an emphatic win. I forgot to say the score, 65 to 17, by the way. Interestingly, all the matches during round one were played at suburban grounds. As we said, North Sydney Oval was great. Sydney venue between two Sydney teams. Beautiful Sunday afternoon. Real nice. But I feel like the AFL are missing a bit of an opportunity here. And journalist Kelly Underwood wrote an article for Code Sports on Friday questioning the AFL's decision to put the AFLW on what she deemed as the outside court, kind of referencing Grand Slam tennis there. Um, she outlined how no matches will be held at Marvel Stadium, which is a venue that the AFL owns, Adelaide Oval, Optus Stadium in Perth, or the MCG, and in the process questioned the commitment from the AFL to the women's game. <laughs> like so many other sports advocates, Underwood writes about how, and I've really liked this, I think I read this out to Kirst, I said, this is just something that we hear over and over again. The AFLW isn't just about the immediate bottom line. It is also about taking a short-term hit for long-term growth the very definition of an investment. If the AFL does this right, it doubles its product, not now, not next year, but over time and then in perpetuity. Sports like football and cricket made the move years ago and are starting to see the benefits in terms of crowd and broadcast revenue. So I think Underwood really nails it when she says it seems like a backward steps, especially when you look at, say, should the Adelaide Crows make the grand final this season, they'll end up hosting the decider at Norwood Oval, which is a venue that barely holds 10,000 people. Four years ago, I was at the Adelaide Oval watching a AFLW grand final between the Crows and Carlton. I can't remember the score that day. But no one does. No, but there was over 50,000 people there. I mean, where, where are we going here? It's so bizarre. That just doesn't make sense, does it? And even looking at the most recent AFLW grand final held in Springwood, is it the Brisbane Lions new facility sold out and was packed to the brim because it didn't have enough capacity. To me, it just doesn't make sense to cap it. And I know that obviously Icon Park, which is Carlton's home ground, has funding to be the centre of women's AFL um, and that it has had some really good money spent on it and the facilities are now great. But I still, I don't, I can't see the logic in a sh- in having a round one blockbuster between Melbourne and Collingwood, which was a cracker of a game on Friday night at Carlton. Instead of, and then, and then you, when you throw into that mix the fact that Hawthorne played Essendon at Frankston on Saturday night, which is neither of their home grounds. Like that for me is a perfect recipe. You've got four Melbourne teams, put them at Marvel Stadium, double header on a Saturday afternoon, go rolling into a Saturday night or even a Sunday and give them the best facilities in a big stadium, market the living daylights out of it and let the, get the people there. I just, I really think the AFL is not putting these games on the best stage possible, which will allow 
the players to perform and also increase the players' exposure. And I just think it's time. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and Hawthorne and Essendon last year for their first clash, which is they a big were rivalry, Marvel. were at Marvel and had a really, really healthy crowd at Marvel. And as you touched on, that Melbourne Collingwood game was exceptional football mm. and and deserves to be in a stadium like that. Totally agree. I think they've really missed an opportunity here and um, hopefully they can fix it. In volleyball, speaking of putting women in stadiums, Nebraska women's volleyball, the Cornhuskers set a new record for women's sports attendance last week. Like all-time women's sport all over the world. 92,003 fans were watching the Nebraska Cornhuskers win over Omaha at Memorial Stadium. The previous record was 91,648 fans at a Champions League semi-final played at FC Barcelona's home ground in April 2022. The game played in front of the 92,003 fans, to be exact, was played in the college's football stadium and Nebraska gave students the day off of classes for volleyball day. The demand has been huge for some time to watch the team. The Cornhuskers squad has sold out 306 consecutive games spanning two decades. Crazy. Two decades? Why did they take so long to put him in a stadium? That I didn't realise it was – I knew it was a lot of consecutive games. I didn't realise it was across <laughs> two decades. That's unlike you to drill down into some detail. That's so bizarre. <laughs> they, wow. I, I think their normal volleyball stadium holds about 13,000 and they sell it, sell it out every time. That's incredible. You're I right. Why that. have they taken so long? Yeah, weird. So the Huskers swept Omaha in three straight sets. I don't think Omaha had a lot of hope with a crowd of that size against them. Sorry to hear it. Um, it was a double header with a Division Two exhibition match between Wayne State and Nebraska Kearney being played before the main event. The event was a paid ticket for all attendees with tickets originally priced at US $25 for adults and $5 US for high school students and younger. But Reports say that ticket prices reached as much as $400 US on the secondary market. Nebraska Athletic Director and former Huskers football star Trev Albert said, there's a great business case and strategy around women's athletics long-term that maybe college athletics hasn't embraced. And we think here in Nebraska, long before I became the athletic director, we've significantly invested in women's athletics and you're seeing the result of that by seeing the success of the volleyball program and the fan base surrounding it. Common sense, the podcast. Investment, people. Investment. <laughs> In at some rugby league. Over the weekend, Belinda Sharp and Casey Badger made history when they became the first females to officiate an NRL match under the single referee system. Sharp had previously been on field during the two referee system and she took charge of the Seagulls v Tigers game. Badger had the whistle for the Titans versus the Bulldogs clash. Both Sharp and Badger have consistently featured as touch judges, running the line in 195 and 161 NRL games, respectively. NRL head of elite football, Graham Ansley, said, The influence of Casey and Belinda has inspired young girls to take up refereeing. Many more will be inspired again when they see them refereeing this weekend. I love that. Um, Badger told reporters, I personally know of people involved in the game who directly told me that it wouldn't happen, and now we're here. It's something I've never forgotten, so it definitely it's definitely something that's just stuck with me. I had a couple of those discussions with some close family friends earlier, close family members early today, and it does feel good to know that we've made it here. I guess there's a sense of relief after all the years of working so hard 
and just great personal fulfillment. And they both did bang up jobs. So well done. I like that she was kind of like taking a bit of a stab at some people that had hated. I, I like that. <laughs> I must admit, I was, I was reading her comments and, uh, and Belinda's comments. I was like, oh, putting Casey's in for sure. She's having a crack at people that said it couldn't happen. <laughs> I love that. In cricket, the England and Wales Cricket Board, the ECB, has announced that the England Cricket's women's players are to receive the same match fees as the men's team, effective immediately. That's what we also love to hear. The decision was made after the recent Ashes series saw saw record crowds and increased viewing figures across the board. ECB Chief Executive Richard Gould said, This summer's thrilling Metrobank Women's Ashes series demonstrated how women's cricket is continuing to grow at pace in this country with record attendees and TV viewing. Growing the women's and girls game is a key priority for us. And in recent years, we have considerably increased investment both in building a domestic women's structure to produce the players of the future and in increasing player rewards. The ECB currently funds 80 professional women's domestic cricketers in addition to its 18 England women's centrally contracted players. Last year, the governing body announced a UK £3.5 million increase in funding for the women's regional game to run until the end of 2024 with increases in salary pool to £250,000, meaning the average salary from a women's regional cricketer will be £25,000 next summer. What is the conversion rate at the moment? I want to say three to one-ish, maybe a bit less than that, but you're talking probably 60, 70 grand. Don't mind it. Don't mind playing some regional cricket. Thank you very much. <laughs> Heather Knight, the England women's captain, said, it's mad when you look back to 2010 when it started, well, when I started, we barely got expenses. To now be in a position to be a professional and earn a decent living from the game is obviously really pleasing. It's a reward for what's been a remarkable summer. The Ashes felt like a real watershed moment. This is following on from that and just another progression. It's really pleasing, but hopefully there are more things down the line that will continue to improve. I love that. It's mad, she says. It's mad. We barely got our, co- our expenses covered in 2010. Here we are. Here we are. This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot, proudly supporting women in sport since 1976. Start every game on the right foot with the right fit. Get fitted in store today or online at theathletesfoot.com for netball, football, running, and recovery. Now that's fit. In some hockey news, the ice kind. Thanks for specifying. The Professional Women's Hockey League has been confirmed with six teams ready to take part. They will be located in Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Boston, Minnesota, and New York. All very cold places. Well. Probably makes sense, does it not? (laughs) In winter. (laughs) The long-awaited PWHL will have the team names and logos confirmed in the coming weeks with the player signings to begin ASAP and a player draft to take part on September 18th. The season will begin in January 2024 and include 24 regular season games, 12 at home and 12 on the road. The CBA states that six players on each team will be signed to three-year contracts of no less than US $80,000 per league year, and the minimum salary for players on standard player contracts shall be US $35,000, while no more than nine players per team can be paid the minimum. Each team must have at least 23 active players on their roster. I like the specification of not only a minimum contract amount, but actually you can only have nine players on that. You know, you can't 
You can't go out there and buy two big dogs and put everyone else on the minimum. All right. Yeah, that. I think I think that's really important when we talk salary caps that limit the top spend. To me, and I think we've probably discussed this before, Bez, the the bottom tier is always the most important part. It doesn't really matter what the top players are getting. To me, it's always those bottom tier players that need to be protected. Exactly. The PWHL will play its games in a variety of facilities from NHL size rinks to minor and junior league arenas. The league plans to stream each game digitally, but also hopes for linear television coverage. Stan Caston, who is president of the Los Angeles Dodgers, had a Dodger dog once. Delicious. Not a massive fan what of baseball. What is a Dodger dog? When you go to the, watch a Dodgers game, their hot dogs are yeah. called Dodger dogs. I got, after a Lakers game, I got this one after watching LeBron play at the Lakers, a hot dog from a street vendor. It was like hot dog wrapped in bacon with just mustard and onion and pickles, and it was probably the best thing I've ever had. So good. Did LeBron serve it to you or no? Yeah, he did. We were just hanging out <laughs> yeah, in sick. the change rooms. Great. Anyway, Stan Caston, who may or may not make the Dodger dogs at, at the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's also, he's also a PWHL board member. And, again, there's a bit of a theme running through this. It could be because I do the research and I, I look for these themes. It's tough to say. But Stan said, the league's business plan extends 10 years. We understand that this is going to be expensive, particularly in the early years, but we're prepared for that. We didn't do this for the short term. We didn't, we didn't do it for the long term. We did it to be permanent. Okay, that's another T-shirt. That's so <laughs> – it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Oh, a 10-year plan, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of like all these female sports just being like, I know what's going to happen next year, guys. Yeah, absolutely. So good. In football, Sam Kerr was named runner-up behind Spain's Aitana Bonmati in UEFA's Player of the Year Awards. The acknowledgement was a reward for another exceptional campaign for the Chelsea striker whose goals helped the Blues lift the Women's FA Cup and Super League double in England. Up the Chels. Big fan over here. You got some merch recently, didn't you? Yeah, well, I did a swap. I love that. Of course, we saw what Sam Kerr did at the World Cup. That goal, I was at the game for that goal. I don't know if I've ever seen – I was talking to Riley about this. I don't know if I've ever seen anything that good in live sport. It was – electrifying when she kicked that goal against England. It was. I was also there. You also were there. And. Was I? (laughs) It was a bit of a blow, wasn't it? (laughs) But I was sitting with the friends and family and it was tense and that was a real release and it was amazing. You could feel it in that stadium, couldn't you? I like how you just dropped that you were sitting with the friends and I was just sitting with Sam Kerr's friends and family, she reckons. (laughs) (laughs) Through no, absolutely. No reason of my celebrity whatsoever. It was just one of those things that happened on the day. And you know what? When opportunities can up, come up, you say, what do you say? You say yes. Yes, all the time. Always yes. We are continually digressing today. So even though Sam Kerr didn't take the field till the knockout stages, she was still bloody good. Back to the Spanish Bon Matty. She was the deserved winner of the award after an outstanding World Cup and playing a huge role in Barcelona's Champions League winning run. She paid tribute to her teammates when receiving the award and spoke about that World Cup moment, saying, I want to share this award with all my teammates. I wouldn't be here without them. We're not talking about the title because things should not, things that should not have happened have taken place. As a society, we should not allow abuse of power in the work environment. I would like to tell my teammate Jenny and all women who have been through the same thing, 
we're with you. We're working to make this a better society. I love that. Um, and England manager Serena Wagman was awarded the Women's Coach of the Year and also highlighted the Spanish team in her speech saying, I would like to dedicate this award to the Spanish team. This team deserves to be celebrated and deserves to be listened to. And I'm going to give them again, a big applause. And I hope you will join. It was really cool. She then put the trophy on the ground and led an applause for the whole award ceremony for the Spanish team. It was, it was a special moment. I yeah. thought. Big, big ups to someone who obviously was the manager of the team that Spain beat in that final too. So amazing recognition and deserved. Let's take a look at the key story. In tennis, the US Open enters week two of competition, or it just did, and on Monday morning, 19-year-old six seed Coco Goff stopped the comeback run of Caroline Wozniacki in the fourth round. Here's one for you. Goff was six years old when Wozniacki became world number one for the first time in October 2010. I love that. That's also six years old in 2010. Born in 2004 is not okay. (laughs) That's rich for you. The 33-year-old showed she still has it, taking Goff to three sets before succumbing 6-3-3-6-6-1. Wozniacki has returned to the court after having two children and she really hasn't missed a beat. I watched some of that match this morning. She's awesome. She's awesome. Goff said in her on-court interview after the match, Caroline's back. It's like she never left. She's been an inspiration growing up. She definitely gets to a lot of balls. Sometimes I felt like I was playing myself. I knew I had to be aggressive today. In some moments I missed, but I was happy I was able to get back and focus. She did a bit of, um, towards the end of the second set there, she gave it a bit of stop to a, to a coaching box. She was like, just stop talking to me. It was Ooh. interesting. Yeah, she got the wobbles and she pretty much told her coaching box to shush. Unfortunately, Iga Swantek lost. Um, so I was really excited for that. It was the quarterfinal order between Goff and Swantek, but... Ego got rolled this morning, so that will not occur. Off the court, there was a celebration early in the tournament to mark 50 years of equal prize money at the Grand Slam that was first to offer it. Michelle Obama paid tribute to Billie Jean King and advocacy work she did then and is still doing now. During her speech, Obama pointed out that Billie Jean had a choice. She could put her head down keep winning tournament after tournament and just accept whatever check she was given. Or she could dig deep and break the serve. She could make a stand. Let us remember that all of this is far bigger than a champion's paycheck. This is about how women are seen and valued in this world. If you haven't watched it, it's a, oh, wow. I I felt a bit tingly. Yeah. Like I was trying not to cry while I just read out that short paragraph of it. If you haven't seen it, go check it out on socials. I mean, I have a massive crush on Michelle Obama. So that's, I mean, she's just a queen. As if Jean King and Michelle Obama are not two people on your list if you could have anyone over for dinner. Oh, absolutely. Plus Adele and we're sorted. Adele and there's someone else that we've spoken about but definitely Adele because she would bring the pints. <laughs> Changing tact a little bit, Billie Jean King has come under fire recently after stating that she would be open to the WTA doing business with Saudi Arabia in the future. She pointed out that the partnership could be beneficial for both sides with the investment allowing the WTA to increase revenue and the visibility of women's of the women's tour could help advance women's rights in the Middle East. Bez, I'm interested to hear kind of a bit more about this because you and I had a discussion about this during the week. Yeah, look, there's no doubt in that sport, sports watching is a real issue and the Saudis have been accused of attempting to gain favour 
across the world by making huge sporting investments in in products such as the lucrative Live Golf Tour. They're in F1 at the moment. Um, there's a lot going on. They're, there's, they're, they're paying outrageous sums of money for, for foot, male football stars. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's so much debate right now about if this is sport washing and if it is, is it okay? And, and King, I think, I, to be honest, I think Billie Jean King really sums it up well. She said that she believes that working with the Saudi organisations could bring about change and said that how are we going to change things if we don't engage? It's hard. It's very hard. So when we go to a country and we play a tournament, just think if you're a little girl or a parent, that they get to see these women being very successful and great athletes and it helps change the hearts and minds of people and how they think. I think that's a really important kind of context to this is we speak so much about if you can't see it, you can't be it, obviously. I think a lot of the sports investment that's happening at the moment from Saudi Arabia has been directed towards the male game and obviously a lot of the human rights issues that we know of in Saudi Arabia are perpetrated against females. So. If female sport can get it's put itself up on a on a platform, then hopefully it can change some some thoughts in Saudi in Saudi Arabia, and it can help bring about that change. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one, and and for the first time, it was Billie Jean King's statement that kind of made me think about it differently. And I, I don't know. I think there's an important distinction between taking money for a sponsorship. I think it'd be very different if the WTA said, yes, we'll accept $10 million from Saudi Arabia to go towards our other majors. But I think it's a very different discussion if they're actually talking about women playing tennis in Saudi Arabia. I think it is still absolutely a gray area and I don't know exactly where I sit, but I think what you touched on there, Bez, the opportunity to create very accessible and visible female role models in that area I believe would have a powerful impact and, as Billy said, have the ability to hopefully create some change. Yeah, I think that engagement piece is super important. If you are hoping to bring about any kind of change, you have to engage with the problem. So, yeah, Steve Simon, who's the chief executive of the WTA, has said women's tennis was seriously evaluating partnerships with Saudi Arabia and he suggested that potentially holding events there would be a way to support progress for women while the country is trying to become a destination for major sports. It's an interesting one, like you said. It is a very divisive subject, um, but I really think that Billie Jean King, if you you want to sum it up, she's probably being a realist. I think that if the money's there and, and look, men's sport's taking it hand over fist, so it's a tough one to step out away from. And like you said, if they can actually engage and create some change through that investment, that's got to be a win. Let's take a look at what to watch. In AFLW, the Friday night game between round one winners Richmond and Adelaide will be a cracker. I think Richmond were surprising on the weekend, weren't they? Yeah, they looked pretty good and I think the Lions were a little bit shocked by that one. Yeah. So the game between the Tigers and the Crows starts at 5.05pm on Friday and we played at Icon Park. You can watch live on the Seven Network, the AFLW app and Fox Footy. The World Surf League champion will be decided at Lower Trestles in California in the coming weeks. The top five will face off for the title with Aussies Molly Picklam and Tyler Wright looking to bring home the trophy. The waiting period starts on September 8th, Saturday morning, Australian time, and all the action will be live on Nine Now and Foxtel. 
There will be a huge top of the table clash in the NRLW when the Newcastle Knights host the Roosters at McDonald Jones Stadium. The second place Knights will be looking to knock the Chooks off their perch when they go to battle at 1.30pm on Saturday. The match will be live on the Nine Network and Foxtel. And that's the wrap. That is the wrap. Virtually done and dusted. (laughs) 